Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, and joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going? Things are good. I got uh, two worlds colliding here. This is kind of crazy for me. You know, you and I have been doing the Dynasty Blueprint for now over a year, um, and John and I do Breaking the Plane podcast uh, pretty much throughout the whole season, twice a week. Urge everyone to check that out. That's not fantasy talk. But I got to uh, meet our guest, John, through Steeler connections and both covering the team in some way, shape, or form. We both do a lot of local radio around here, and uh, his specialty is draft, and he's coming from the Senior Bowl. Him and I actually just recorded a, an episode of Breaking the Plane about two hours ago where we went over all the players, and today we're going to do a little more fantasy-oriented. Matt, you got to hear all this uh, twice in a row. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get pretty tired of you. <laughs> Matt will be well schooled on on all the happenings from the Senior Bowl for sure. <laughs> but we do have John Ledyard today. John is a NFL draft analyst with Inside the Pylon, and as Matt mentioned, also the co-host of the Breaking the Plane Pod, along with Matt. Both of you guys do that. So I'm just going to kind of sit back and listen in today and pretend I'm on Breaking the Plane. How how does that sound? Just put it in neutral. So, John, as, as Matt said, you were down at the Senior Bowl for the past week. Uh, I don't know. Is that something you've gotten to do before, or was this the first time? This was my second year going down. Last year I went down. Uh, it was a really good group down there last year. This year was a really good group, too, but um, you know, just a lot of guys either declining or declining because of injury or getting injured during the week definitely weakened the crop a little bit more than last year's group probably was. Yeah, it seems like uh, for all the draft analysts, that seems to be just their best week of the year. I hear that from so many people. Oh, yeah. What is it? Uh, what is it that just makes it so great? I think one of the biggest things is that it, you feel very in close proximity to NFL scouts and NFL GMs and and um, the players in general, and it's just kind of a big um, NFL football hangout session. Um, you know, people you talk with and you write with and you work with, even oftentimes from long distances year round, and people you interact with every day on Twitter and social media, and you, you talk about prospects with, and now you're in person and you get to do all that and share that for a week. Um, and when you're as passionate about football and these prospects and the draft and scouting as myself and most of my colleagues are, it's just a great time. Uh, you just get to kind of express that for a week and you get to watch practices live together, offer opinions and thoughts live together, you know, bounce ideas off each other, watch all 22 film uh, one of the new rooms that Exos put up um, at the, at the senior bowl that has been there for the past two years now is 
a great resource for us and for teams. So it's just a great time. You just It's just like a big football party for the entire week, except not for the prospects. They're getting evaluated. Ryan, I, I've gone five years or so, and it's been a while, and I, I need to get back down there. But it's a lot more laid back than, say, the Combine. Like the Combine, they're really strict to who gets in. Every team has their row that they sit in. You know, like at the Senior Bowl, anyone can just kind of go sit in the stands, and you're sitting uh-huh. right next to – you know, head coach of the Bears, not the Bears or Browns because they were coaching the teams, but all the coaches, all the all the scouts, all the front office people. Um, there's a bunch of people down there handing out resumes that have just got fired looking for jobs. And, you know, the <laughs> bars and the hotels and the restaurants are all fun and it's all NFL people. The airport is loaded with, you know, logos everywhere. It's a blast. And it's not like the weather was good, which isn't always the case. Yeah, yeah the weather was great this year and last year it was not. Uh, this year was really, really nice, so uh, I was thankful for that. It seems like more and more of the fantasy football community is is being represented down there. I know, uh, once again, there were several guys from football guys. I know the Under the Helmet team was down there covering it. So hmm. that's that's always good to see just from a fantasy football or a dynasty perspective as well. Yeah, we're growing, man. So, John, I, I wanted to start, uh, I guess, kind of big picture with our discussion of the game and of that whole week. I know it was mentioned several times that last year there were four first-rounders that participated in the Senior Bowl. Do you see more than that this week or this year or, or maybe less? Well, I think it will be about the same, uh, but for different reasons. This is a really good class. Um, last year's class, maybe some of the guys – I'm trying to think who the first-rounders even were now, but maybe some guys got pushed up a little bit more um, because it wasn't as good a class overall. This year it's a really good class, but it's really weak on the offensive line. And the four positions that seem to really be valued the most uh, by NFL teams, I think, are quarterback, offensive tackle, especially left tackles, but really offensive tackle in general, cornerback, um, and edge pass rushers. I think those are probably the four most valued positions in the league. And this offensive line group isn't great overall this year, and I think some guy in Forrest Lamp only practiced the first day, but from Western Kentucky, I think he's a guy that could go in the first round and play guard or tackle. Antonio Garcia from Troy could go in the first round based on his tools. Uh, Taylor Moten from Western Michigan, another tackle that went early. Uh, but you guys are fantasy guys. I know you're not, not as interested in the offensive line, but there's three that could go out there in the first round. O.J. Howard from Alabama solidified himself, I thought, as a top 15 to 20 guy, um, an athlete who was much better as a route runner than people. It was kind of a question mark around him coming in because he wasn't asked to do a whole lot of complicated route running or separating from man coverage when he was at Alabama. So now getting to see him in this light, he was uh, much better. I mean, he's great all week. I thought he locked himself in there. Um, and there could be some other options. I think Trey White from LSU, a corner, um, he got hurt uh, in midway through the week too, but he was having a good week. I think it was just an ankle sprain or something, uh, but he was having a good week as well. He's a guy that could work his way into, into first-round consideration as well. So there's a couple, but not many guys at the skill offensive skill positions that were here. A lot of guys that declined, but not many that actually showed up for the event. From what I've observed, White, the corner that John just mentioned from LSU, I think has a really good chance of being a first-rounder. Howard, the tight end from Alabama, who just came off the national title loss, is basically a lock. So to me, those are the only two guarantees. Yeah, I think that's true as guarantees go. And then there's always the who gets elevated because of a weak group and an important sure. vision conversation. And 
I think that's what's going to end up happening with some of these offensive linemen. Matt, do you not think Howard's locked into that first round? No, I, I definitely think he is, and probably top 15 or so. You know, I mean, you see some of these mocks, and they have him go into the Steelers at 30 or the Patriots at 32 or the Giants in the 20s. I would be shocked if he's available that late. I, and I just don't know if there's many holes in Howard's game overall. Teams are going to be excited about that. I mean, he's a great blocker, probably the best blocker in the draft, pass protecting, um, run blocking, uh, receiving overall athleticism. He's going to test really well. He's guaranteeing a four five eight. Uh, he told us that earlier in the week and said it again the other night on NFL Network. And uh, great guy off the field, you know, works hard, dedicated, all that kind of stuff, you know, comes from a stable home and all the things NFL teams care about and investigate. And uh, he's going to pass all those questions with flying colors. John, the only thing I can see slowing him down as to where he gets picked are two things that aren't his own fault. Are One, it's a really, really good tight end class. So yeah. – Maybe we'll wait till the second round to get our guy or the third round because it's much better than usual. And because it's sort of a somewhat unique position, how many teams are actually willing to take a tight end in round one, period? Right. Yeah, that's that's the key, I think. And uh, we've seen a couple happen a couple times. Fern Davis comes to mind. Eric Ebron comes to mind. Guys that were, I think, top 12 or so picks. And yeah. I think he is as good a prospect as those guys in a lot of ways, um, a better prospect all around than Ebron was. And I think that I think that in, what's going to happen is I think in a weak receiver class, a receiver class that isn't quite as overall dominant as some of the more recent ones we've seen, I think because of that, you're going to see a playmaker like Howard who can help an offense, even if you already have a tight end, you can flex him, you can play him in line, you can do a lot of things with him. I think you're going to see him get valued along the lines of that a top receiver would and get picked, picked in a slot like that. Do you agree – you mentioned Ebron and Vernon Davis. I mean, the early draft picks. Do you agree that he's a more well-rounded player than them, especially from a blocking perspective, but might not run as well? If you remember, those guys were freaks at the combine, especially Davis. Right. A long time ago. But. I'm trying to remember what Davis ran right now, but I think he was – It was like, under 4-4. I mean, it was crazy. Or under the 4-5. I'm sorry. It was in the 4-4s. He's not going to run as well as Davis did, but – He's a lot more well-rounded of a player than both of those two coming out. And the thing I really wanted to see was how does he do as a route runner because that was where I thought was the big question mark uh, for him was you know you just didn't see a lot of it at Alabama. So now you saw more of it this week, uh, intricacy within his route stems and his movement and some head fakes. And he really was a tough cover for everybody all week. So really, really liked him in that way. thought he proved himself there well. The other thing he didn't really do at Alabama was make a lot of contested catches um, and that's, again, not really his fault. He wasn't in position to do that very much or make a lot of tough off-target catches, highlight reel-type grabs. I thought he did some of that this week. Again, wasn't a lot, and I didn't notice a lot of opportunities to do that this week, but I did notice a couple times. One time he tracked a, a deep ball right into the offensive line drills, like right in the midst of a crowd of 330-pound guys and, and reeled it in uh, right in the middle of those guys, and it was a pretty impressive play from that standpoint. John, with Howard, you're talking about some of the specifics that you saw throughout the week. But in general, especially with those those offensive skill positions, what are the drills or the activities that you're really focusing on and, and that you can really gain some information from as you as you watch those practices? Well, with the offensive skill positions, when you're watching the receivers, at least for me, it's their route running efficiency, sort of the routes break at the proper depth. 
Uh, how explosive are they in and out of their cuts? Do they sink their hips? You know, for double moves, do they sell vertically? Are they explosive enough off the line of scrimmage to sell vertically? Work back for a second, and then as they kind of – it's a feel thing almost. As you feel the cornerback biting, then you spin out and get vertical again. How explosive are they out of that second movement? Um, I think those are some of the big things with that position. And you saw some of that with some of these guys this week. With other guys, you could tell that they struggled, like Jalen Robinette uh, from Air Force – didn't run that many routes in Air Force's offense. And you could see that when he was asked to run a dig or an out or something like that, it was just completely foreign to him and his footwork. You know, not explosive, didn't sink his hips, didn't really sell vertically before breaking his route off. So I think that with different players, you'll see different things like that for the receivers anyway. That was a big thing. Backs are really difficult to evaluate from a running standpoint here because even in the quote-unquote tackle periods of practice – you're not always getting your whistles off and sound before you know a guy is down on the ground. You're not always getting a full contact flow to the football from linebackers. You're working with an offensive line that you know, I was telling Matt in the South team's case, you get three of your five probable you know quote unquote starters go down the first day. So the South running backs are in trouble right away. So it was a tough spot for them. It's just hard to get a feel for most of the running backs in those ways. But in the receiving drills, I thought you could get a much better feel for how they worked against man coverage and so on and so forth. Just from my experience, uh, and John and I, I think, are agreement because we talked about this earlier. I mean, you could get an awful lot from the big men, you know, the, the trenches, the, the pit with the, the D linemen and the offensive tackles going against each other. I think there's a lot to be gained from one-on-ones from a wide receiver and tight end perspective. But, of course, that favors a wide receiver or tight end a great deal. I and mean, there's no pass rush and, you know, there's all the space to operate in. But kind of like he was saying, though, it's – for our purposes, it's not great because it's it's really tough to evaluate the safeties and linebackers and especially the running backs. Like, yeah, you can see them in, in protection a little bit, but they're often overmatched. And, the, you know, watching them run routes is valuable from a running back perspective. But even in the game – the guys blocking for you have no continuity. You know, I mean, you're at a major disadvantage if you're a running back here. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is always at these events is scout traits, and that's true for everybody, yeah. but also especially the small school guys. You know, you want to see traits that show you that a guy can play and isn't overwhelmed or a mismatch at this level of football, and especially when they're playing bigger school guys. And so I thought a number of small school guys asserted themselves well in that way and convinced me they have the traits to be able to make the leap to the NFL, where some guys struggled a little bit more in that capacity and and I thought would have a harder time transitioning to the same level of production they had at a smaller school. They would have a hard time transitioning from that level of production to posting the same results in the NFL. I just didn't see that in the cards for them. Not that they can't be valuable NFL players, just that the same caliber of player, maybe they were a top-tier elite player in the FCS, and maybe they're more of a middle-of-the-road type traits when it comes to the NFL. So, John, of all the offensive skill position players you saw this week, who was the most impressive? Was it Howard, or, or was there another that stood out? Yeah, it was definitely Howard, but since we talked about him already, and he was the best player here overall, you know, I think in any position, I don't think it was particularly close. Um, he was terrific. But a couple other guys that jumped out at me, Evan Ingram's going to be really interesting because some people called him a big wide receiver, and he was listed at 227. He came in here, and he was 6'3", just like it says he is, and he was 237 and looked huge. I mean, his hands are as big as O.J. Howard's. Um, he was great all week. He's a more crisp and precise route runner than Howard is right now. 
probably than any of the receivers here, honestly, in terms of from a from a technical standpoint, at least many of them, maybe some of the smaller guys, but he at his size to be able to move and run routes like he does. Matt mentioned it earlier to me, a bunch of people talk about he's going to get compared to Jordan Reed. We'll see how he tests. That'll be big for him. Sometimes I wish he made more high degree of difficulty catches down the field, but I've been a big more consistently, I should say. He did do that at Ole Miss. I've been a big fan of his game for a long time. Um, I think he projects really well to the modern NFL, and I don't think he's a bad blocker at all. I think he's fine in line. You know, he kind of got stereotyped as a bad blocker because of his size, Um, and I don't know that that'll be his greatest strength in the NFL, but I think he'll be fine. I thought Zay Jones had a good week of practice, the East Carolina kid who had crazy production in college. A good week of practice followed up by a great game. Um, the guy that can be a red zone threat. I don't know if he's a true stretch the field burner vertically, but I think he's got the catch radius to be able to make plays down the field, adjust well to the football. It was a better route runner than they thought he would be often used in the slot at East Carolina, kind of a big slot mismatch guy. Um, So I thought he worked his way into potential day two selection. Um, Josh Reynolds from Texas A&M is very lanky and got beat up by press corners in college. That's my biggest concern with him. But here in this environment, he did pretty well. In the game, he did pretty well. Again, red zone targets, red zone efficiency type of guy, you know, can play big, uh, play big at the catch point. I think that's going to be his calling card. If he can get off of cover, off of press and separate down the field, I think he has a chance to stand out that way. So those were a couple guys that caught my eye uh, throughout the week at the offensive skill positions. John, is it safe to say, and I don't mean to speak for you, but if it's third and six and you get two guys from this game that you trust to get open and make a play for you, would they be Howard and Ingram? I think that's – yeah, I would say that, although I'm really interested in the slot receivers that were here because, you know, Ryan Switzer is a guy that can do that in that type of situation. That's going to be his role at the next level. And and I don't think he's anything more than a wide receiver three, but in today's NFL, 11 personnel, you know, is, is what teams are going to. He's a very crisp route runner. He can make things happen after the catch. Uh, he's a tough kid. Um, he, he's very um, just technical in all that he does, which is what you need from a slot. And he played the slot almost always at UNC. And it's not like he's an outside guy who's getting moved into the slot because he was undersized. He is smaller, but he's also polished at that position, and it's the position that he plays best. So I think because of that, he's another guy, third and sixth type situations. He's going to be a guy who works the short to intermediate parts of the field with really good efficiency and going to be a tough cover. If he – can test well at the combine, and I think he'll do fine in the three cone and shuttles, the events that really matter for him. I think that he has a chance to sneak into day two as well, partially because there's not a lot of short things in this receiver class. He's a patriot all day long. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> John, what about some players on on the other end, especially, again, those uh, offensive skill guys who may be disappointed this past week? Well, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for this one because there's a lot of support out there for him and a lot of people that like him. But I just really – and it wasn't that he was disappointing. He just didn't really pop to me. It was Cooper Cup from Eastern Washington. Again, really good production in college. Uh, Did a lot of good things on tape in college. I just think he's not a great athlete, and I don't think he's going to be able to sell vertically enough to make to get the kind of separation he wants underneath. Um, I don't think he's a guy who's going to catch the ball off target a lot of the time, just not quite as fluid in the air as some of the other guys like Zay Jones who can adjust a little more off target. I thought in a group where he's being billed as the guy who clearly stood out, worked his way into being a top 40 player, you know, is might be maybe wide receiver three. I just think that's – 
way overhyping him, and I did not think he stood out like that at all throughout the week. Um, and again, I mentioned this to Matt, but he was working against a group of corners that was you know, severely overmatched in practice on his own team. I mean, Arian Penton was a late addition, um, who a lot of people told me down there they didn't like his tape and didn't understand why he was there. Brendan Langley from Lamar was was getting worked in the game by everyone who faced him, and he has some traits, but still disappointing. A lot of people want to move Desmond King to safety. He had a rough week. One of Lewis from Michigan is solid, and Rosal Douglas actually got beat a couple times uh, by uh, by Cup, but he ended up having a solid week from what I heard. Um, but I just thought Cup didn't really stand out in any way significantly. He looked very middle of the pack in a middle of the pack type of wide receiver group. He'd probably be one. And then Abad Atau from Syracuse really struggled in his routes to catch the ball. Robinette does some great things in terms of catching outside his frame um, and high pointing the football, but he's just not a route runner. And I think it's going to take him time. He's going to have to test well to show teams he has the traits to be able to be a better route runner in time. So those were a couple of the guys that overall to me just didn't stand out in any way. Pause. And I'll mention Taewon Taylor too from Western Kentucky. He might be the best athlete among the receiver groups here in terms of speed and foot quickness, but he's not nearly as polished. And he probably has to play in the slot because physical corners just beat him up all day long in college, especially when he played Alabama. I know on the stat sheet, it looks good for him against Alabama, but like 70% of his production in that game came off of a flea flicker where he was wide open. I think overall he's a guy that needs to be a lot more polished to win in the slot in the NFL. Hey, Ryan, do you know what really is polished and stands out? I bet you do. <laughs> it's our friends at Loot Crate. Are you on an epic quest for gear, housewares, and collectibles? Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than 20 bucks a month, even cheaper when you use our promo code, which I'll tell you about in a minute here. Whether you're shopping for the geek in your life or if you are that geek, Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming. Every month there's a different theme and a new exclusive items you can get with only Loot Crate. Treat yourself every month and give the gift of geeking out to a friend or a loved one or yourself if you are that geek. Roll up your sleeves and get ready to celebrate some pop culture's most put-together franchises. February's hands-on theme is Build and features the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Batman, Lego Dimensions, and Tetras, and as always, our monthly t-shirt and pin. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. to subscribe and receive this month's crate, and when that cutoff happens, it's over, it's over. So make sure you head to www.lootcrate.com slash dynastyblueprint and enter the code dynastyblueprint to save two bucks off your already under $20 a month crate from Loot Crate. It's good stuff. John, I want to go back to Cooper Cup for just a second. Some really interesting thoughts that you had on him, especially since most of what we heard, like you alluded to, was was positive. So many dynasty players, myself included, look at age as as one of the big numbers in evaluating these guys as as fantasy options. You know the story with Cup. He's 23 and a half years old. He's older than Mike Evans and Allen Robinson and Sammy Watkins. But my question for both of you guys in your scouting experience, how much do NFL teams take that into effect? Uh, are they concerned that they're you know, potentially getting less years out of this player? Are they concerned that players' production may be skewed because he's 23 playing against 18- and 19-year-olds? Are those things that, that NFL teams seem to factor in, or, or do they just pretty much ignore that? Yeah, I, I... – I think they do, but here's the catch, Ryan. I think it's that NFL teams care 
only if you can't contribute right away. So if a guy is raw or unpolished or needs time to develop and he's old, you know, let's talk about Carol Phillips, defensive end from Illinois. You know, this week he showed he is very raw and unpolished, then he's also going to be a 25-year-old rookie. That's just – you don't touch that until day three to me. Even if he tests really well, you know, how, how quickly are you going to be able to teach him what his responsibilities are for the NFL game? He's going to be able to make an impact on the field. Because talking about a four- or five-year contract, you know, for Cup, he's definitely technical. I just don't see a high ceiling at all. So I don't know that it will deter teams as much as it will uh, fantasy owners. But with him, I think it's more that there isn't a great upside. So you're going to get, you know, four- or five-year contract out of him. You'll get his first-year contract, and there probably won't be much depreciation. But for fantasy owners, I don't know that I see a guy who's going to be any type of a top-tier threat at the position, if that makes sense. Ryan, I have some input on this too, because from a dynasty perspective, you know, you love that, boy, this guy, you know, Mike Evans, he came in the league super young, you know, and he's going to be on my dynasty team for the next 12 years as opposed to the next eight or nine or whatever. But when I would look at it from an NFL perspective would be, I don't care that I'm getting a guy that's quote overaged because maybe he's a little more mature. Maybe he's married. You know, I mean, maybe he's coming to my team and what's the chances we're going to keep this guy 10, 12 years anyways. It's going to matter that we lose an extra year or so. But I think you got to be careful. And John, this is a lesson I learned kind of late in my scouting life too, but it makes a lot of sense. And it it reflected on like the BYU kids a lot. Like, Sometimes 24-year-olds are out there blocking 19-year-olds, you know, and it's it's almost like when your kid has to go against the a level above them, uh, you know, a pitcher that throws harder than he's used to or whatever. Like, at that age, sometimes those overage prospects have a big advantage because not only are they more mature, but their bodies are more developed, especially true with linemen. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, in the fantasy world, that goes back to some of the work that John Moore did over at Rotoviz with breakout age. You know, if we're seeing these players with production late in their college career, you know, Kevin White comes to mind. Didn't really do a whole lot until his final year there at West Virginia. You know, he was 22, I guess 22 maybe, I think, in, in that final year, going against, you know, teenagers or guys that were 20 years old. And I mean, I think that makes a difference. So, again, that kind of goes along with that idea that maybe that production is a little bit skewed. Yeah, I think it could. I think that the most important thing, again, and I'll, I'll kind of repeat this, I think, in some ways, is that what are the traits? You know, what are, do they have, you know, traits that are transcendent, basically, that they believe can be transcendent at this level? And that's why the combine and things like that are so important, especially for smaller school guys. Because on tape, it may look like their traits are transcendent. Um, but then when you get them in that type of setting where they have to work out and, and perform with the combine and things of that nature, you know, you see that they're more middle of the pack in terms of a lot of those athletic traits. Now, some guys can transcend even that at the, at the NFL level, but those players tend to be more few and far between. Um, and I think that the age is, if you look at it in the context of what the traits are and how plays, how close a player is to being able to contribute at the NFL level, you know, it's an important factor in that context. John, let's transition just a little bit. I know you spent a lot of your time this week watching defensive players and specifically those, those edge guys. So who are some, some players, some names that uh, IDP dynasty players might want to be aware of uh, as we get closer to the combine? Well, I think of the edge guys, you know, the, the best guy here all around may have been Derek Rivers from Youngstown State. And while I talked about Cooper Cup and saying 
I don't know if he has any traits that really transcend uh, to the NFL level other than to be a role guy. I think Rivers is the exact opposite. A guy who played at FCS level at Youngstown State had great production, uh, looked really good on tape, played really well against the bigger schools like WVU that they played, uh, just kind of looked the part all the way around, got a late invite, uh, got brought up from the Shrine game um, to the to the Senior Bowl, and he was the best edge guy here all around all week. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's really a question. Uh, great in, in run defense, very technical, processes really well. Um, and as a pass rusher, he's still developing, but there's a lot to like about his game. And the willingness to convert speed to power is really key, I think, for him. You could see the bull rush plays low and leveraged. I told him when I was there on tape, I didn't think he was 6'4", because he played so low and leveraged all the time. And he, t- he sure enough, he measured it at 6'4", 255, great size, could probably play in a 3-4 or 4-3 front. Um, had a sack in the game, um, had a couple other pressures. Uh, just he was he was all around and, and an extremely good player, one of the top defensive players here, one of the top overall players here at the Senior Bowl. I also get, got really excited about Hassan Reddick from Temple, who's an athletic, maybe a little bit undersized, uh, not quite as long as some of the other edge guys, but a guy who can play three, four outside linebacker probably. Played a little bit of off-ball linebacker here, covered really well, uh, has some upside there. He came to Temple as a walk-on cornerback, um, so he's that kind of an athlete. Um, they moved him to linebacker and then to defensive end the past two years uh, where he's played really well. Checked in at about 237, I think, so he's a lighter for that spot. Again, if he can bulk up a little bit, I think he is close to maxed out because he's only like 6'1", um, but an explosive kid, uh, you know, a really great athlete. Uh, and the one-on-ones he dominated, I thought. And uh, another guy, Dwayne Smoot. I think he's a good edge guy. I think he has a good first step explosive. You know, he, he's not a round one guy in terms of in having that type of bend and overall ability. Uh, but a guy who makes the most of his traits, can counter, um, can do a lot of nice things as a pass rusher. I think he could be a guy that does really well as a pass rusher early on in his career. Before we get into some of the more uh, specific names at those four offensive skill positions. Uh, I've got to ask you while we have you here, the debate in dynasty leagues is between the two top running backs, the two top wide receivers. I just want you to weigh in on what you see out of these guys uh, as far as their NFL future. So let's start with the running backs, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, which one of those is your guy and why? I really like Dalvin Cook, and I don't like him to the level I liked Ezekiel Elliott last year, but um, I really feel like he his upside at the NFL level, I think he's a more explosive player. Um, his burst and acceleration is out of this world. Um, as his vision continues to develop, that's only going to get better and better. At times, I think he could be more patient. Uh, Fournette probably has him in that area a little bit, um, but I just – I think as an athlete, as a receiver, definitely, um, that's key, I think, for him too. Um, I just think he overall has a better better game than Fournette. I think Fournette's a good player, really high floor. Um, I don't think he's a top five type talent like some people are talking about. I think he's going to do well at the combine. I don't think he'll blow it up like some people are predicting he will. Uh, A solid player to me, um, a guy who can be a very solid NFL starting running back, I don't see the ability to ever be a special transcendent top three type running back talent. Whereas Cook, I think is closer to being that type of a player uh, than Fournette is. Neither of them to me are Ezekiel Elliott, where I thought this guy's going to be one of the top running backs in the NFL during his whole career. Um, you know, But at the same time, I think both are really good prospects. I just like Cook a little more. So, John, I mean, I know it's only late January and you know you don't need to put a firm list or anything together. 
But is there any running back you'd take over Fournette besides Cook? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that's a tough question to answer right now at this point, uh, like you said. But, uh, you know, I, I think that I like Fournette. I like Cook the most out of all the running backs here, and I like Fournette a lot. Um, but I'm not ready to say I wouldn't take anyone over him. I, I really like Jamal Williams uh, from BYU. I don't know if I'd take him over Fournette just yet. Um, I really like Joe Mixon as a player on the field but I can't get away from his off field. That gives me a lot of issues. I need to do more work on Samaji Ryan, but I liked him a lot last year. I think Cook's more in that group of running backs to me than he is on Cook's level. Now, I like Fournette a good bit, and I like those guys a good bit, and situation will be key for them, as we have kind of seen in, 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 uh, in with recent running backs. Um, but I think that I think I would take Fournette second right now, but I don't feel tethered to that at all. I feel like that could change for me, and, and the combine will probably be a, be a big part of that. Uh, but also as I get more into the running backs and their tape, I think he's more in that second-tier group, which is still a really good group, but I don't know that they're elite-type players. Wow, you hate Fournette. <laughs> That's what everybody will tell me. <laughs> That's all you're going to hear. That's right. John, what about the wide receiver spot? Uh, I, I guess as far as fantasy players go, it, it's really coming down to Mike Williams versus Corey Davis. I know NFL teams, you know, some seem to have John Ross pretty high, maybe uh, maybe a couple of other guys. But just comparing Williams and Davis, who do you like there? This is really tough for me, much tougher, um, because they win in really different ways. Uh, Davis is more well-rounded, a better route runner. You know, I'm actually not a dynasty player, so, you know, uh, he's going to get more receptions. I don't know if that means as much to y'all as regular fantasy, but I think Davis is going to be more of your closer to 100 catch type of guy each and every year um, because he's a better route runner, more polished a little bit in that way, a little bit of a better separator. Um, So I like him as a little bit of a safer guy, Williams is a little more boom or bust, but his ability in the air to high point, his ability in the red zone, uh, touchdown production, I mean, that is going to be huge if he lands in the right spot. But he's really dependent on his spot a little bit, I think. You know, is he going to have a quarterback who trusts him? He can't play in Kansas City and do what he does. But, you know, he can play in a downfield passing attack um, a lot more. So Davis is the safer pick. Williams probably has higher upside. I don't know if he's ever going to be a great separator on the ground, but there's two types of receivers to me a lot of the time when you're talking about outside guys, the guys who separate in the ground and guys who separate on the air. And I think ground guys who separate on the ground tend to be a little bit more of a high floor type of guys like Davis. You know, those guys are going to, if you're with a competent OC, you're going to find ways to win a little bit more. Uh, but guys in the air need a quarterback and an OC who are kind of going to put them in places to succeed. And I think Williams can absolutely do that. I mean, he is a monster in the air, better than Davis in that regard to me. But I think Davis is the more safe pick, so I hope that answers your question. You know, we're talking about Williams, the receiver here. And in the last question, you brought up Jamal Williams, the running back from Brigham Young, as, as one of your favorite backs in this class. He was at the Senior Bowl. Give us a report of what you thought of him live. Yeah, toughest position to evaluate the senior right. bowl. You know, we talked about that, and I kind of already mentioned it here too. But I, I, I thought he was really good as a receiver in the one-on-ones, um, which was something he needed to show because BYU used him as a receiver early in his career, but he didn't get a whole lot of catches uh, more recently, although they did flex him out wide and he ran routes, so I just think he wasn't targeted uh, for whatever reason. So uh, I thought on tape he'd be fine in that area, but 
this was going to be big for him, and I thought he served himself well in that way. He's terrific in pass protection on tape, so seeing him dominate in pass protection here was not really any surprise. Um, that's a really strong part of his game, no question there. Um, you didn't really get to see that in the game because they don't allow blitzing, um, so he was you know, being out as a receiver a lot more, but in practices you saw it more and more. As a runner, it was hard to see you know, from an angle that he's looking at, uh, so from that perspective, I didn't feel like I got a great feel for him, and I didn't see him when I went up to the All-22 room to watch tape. He wasn't one of the backs that was on at any time when I was there. So I didn't feel like I got a great feel for him there in the game. His offensive line was completely overmatched. I mean, that that South team, I think they're, they're – like I said, their offensive line was in shambles throughout the week. Uh, they got beat up a lot, and they ended up pulling up a lot of guys at the practice one day or less with the, with the group. So – I think that it was really tough to evaluate him in the game. But on tape, I thought, man, this is a guy who runs with power and had been off for like I mean, with injuries and a couple early off the field things at BYU. Um, I think he had been out of football for like 662 days or something crazy. Um, and I loved I loved his ability to cut at the second level, make people miss, run through contact, chip on his shoulder type of runner, lowers his pads at the second level. Um, a guy who – Vision was a little inconsistent, but definitely for the most part, found the hole quickly, worked to it quickly, had good burst. Uh, I thought his feet were great for a big back. I uh, just saw a lot of traits that I liked and valued. Now the question is going to be, what does he test like? How much of an, how big of an athlete is he? Because he was he looked good in that area, but he didn't seem like a tier above everybody else this week, uh, which is kind of what I hope to see. So we'll see how he tests and get a better feel for him at the combine and I have to, I've gone like four games into his tape. I want to do at least four more. John, let's stick at the running back position. Um, what did you see from Kareem Hunt? I know, again, you, you said it's just tough to evaluate any of these running backs. Hunt kind of seemed to steal the show during the game. Uh, what about the, the rest of the week? Yeah, the game was good, 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 really good for Hunt, really strong for him. And I think he had the better offensive line, so he was in position to show up a little bit more. But he ran through arm tackles. You know, vision was good at the first level, I thought, definitely as the burst. Um, I don't think he's a great space player, but that's okay. Um, I think he's going to be a really good receiver. Um, I, I haven't seen enough. He isn't as good as Williams and, or Matt Days at pass protection from what I've seen. But in terms of having a well-rounded running back skill set, I think that's definitely um, something that's in his repertoire. Uh, I think that he overall probably helped himself the most of this running back group just because he was in position to do so. And he'll have a chance to be a day-two pick if he's able to test well, I think. John, one thing that they were talking about a lot with Hunt on the coverage was, I think in the program, you know, Toledo, and most people thought he was in like that 225, 230 range, and he came in like 20 pounds less than that. Yeah, he was listed at like 6'1", 225, and he was okay. like 5'10", 208 here, something like that, if I remember. It's not even close. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> um, he was probably the furthest off, yeah, 5'10 and, and, and a half, and he was 208 pounds um, at the combine. So, yeah, not even close. But actually, when I watched him on tape, I tweeted, the first thing I saw was like five plays into his tape, and I just happened to peek at his size just to see, you know, how big he was. And I saw his listed size, and I tweeted out. I was like, there's no way that he's close to as big as he's listed at. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, you know, Wayans came around, and he wasn't anywhere near what he was listed at. So I don't know why some team sites do that. You know, to me, if you liked his power and, you know, his size on tape and you thought he was adequate in those ways, well, you know, he was 5'10", and he was 208 when he was doing all that. So, you know, I think you like him probably – I hope that you like him just about the same. I think, uh, you know, not that he isn't uh, – 
you know, that, I mean, not that that size isn't, you know, somewhat concerning when you compare it to six one, but I think overall, you know, as long as you're in that range for a running back and you're not Danell Pumphrey at, at 5'8", 169 pounds, um, I don't think it's overly concerning, you know, considering his height was, was, was smaller, which might actually be a good thing. Um, his weight in proportion to that was, was, was fine. I think he's a, you know, well-muscled dude. who's not going to have any qualms about going between the tackles. What about Corey Clement? He's a guy who uh, had a really strong beginning to his career. He was a name every dynasty and, and Devy player knew, and he's kind of, his career kind of, I don't want to say fizzled, but it certainly slowed down. Um, did he gain back a little of that steam this week? Ah, it's tough to say. I mean, again, we talk about the running backs, but I thought that Clement does some good things, but, you know, the injuries have been an issue, and he was nicked up at the beginning of the game. He did come back, which I thought was good for him. But he's not a guy who's going to be a, a splash play running back to me. Now, take this with a grain of salt, because I didn't think Jordan Howard was anything more than a short yardage guy last year, and he wowed me, you know, being in his situation. That was a big surprise to me. Uh, I see Clement as kind of a, what I thought, Howard would be as a runner, not necessarily in terms of style, but in terms of impact. Um, guys who will be capable starters, but aren't high upside guys um, and don't have a lot of explosiveness to their game. I watched Clement against Penn State and thought he was the best game that I've ever seen from him. Um, now, I haven't sc- I hadn't scouted him before that, just from watching live standpoint, thought he was really good in that game. Um, so I'm curious to get back into his tape more, but I didn't think in terms of what he did in Mobile, he really stood out significantly in any way. He wasn't bad either. I just don't think you saw any type of, again, we talk about transcendent traits and guys who can be top tier at their position or high impact starters at their position. I didn't necessarily see that with him, but I definitely think he can be a capable NFL starter based on what I've seen so far. So of, of all the running backs you saw this week, which would you say has the best chance to play a role for their team in their rookie season? Probably Hunt, but uh, again, Williams, I think, is is the better of, of, the, of the backs. I think he was the best back here, but Hunt um, doesn't have the same type of injury concerns, and I, I think Williams has re- rehabilitated his image from an early incident, so I don't think that'll be as much of a, t- a concern to teams, uh, but I do think that Williams Hunt is a better all-around skill set to be kind of that third down type of guy. Now, if Williams gets in a situation that needs a feature running back, then it changes things a little bit. And obviously the situation is everything in answer to this question. Anyway, you and I both know that. Without knowing that context, I think Hunt will be in a situation where he's going to contribute right away because he's the more uh, you know ready player, I would say. All right. I know you were, uh, I guess, on record as being – disappointed and frustrated with the quarterback play you saw this week you know Davis Webb I think he won the the game's MVP even though uh, he had some pretty some pretty bad throws is is there anything dynasty owners fantasy owners really even need to be concerned with as far as uh, as far as the quarterback position from this game you know Davis Webb Nate Peterman seems to be gaining a, a little bit of uh, notoriety. I, I even saw him mentioned as a possible second rounder in the NFL draft. Uh, what did What did you think from the quarterbacks overall this week? Yeah, pretty bad group. Um, uh, no question there. Uh, in a vacuum, Peterman's probably an early day three guy, um, but quarterbacks always get moved up, <laughs> so he'll probably end up being a day two guy. 
Um, he's a capable starter if he's in a great situation, uh, I think, in an offense that fits him. Think more of a West Coast, maybe Erhard Perkins towel of offense. Uh, maybe he's a good fit in that way. He's not a high upside guy at all. Webb is the more high upside guy, but he's light years away from where he needs to be. In. And you can say high upside and attach it to you know, a number of guys. It doesn't mean they have a great chance of getting there. Um, you know, Webb's probably a mid-day three pick in a vacuum. But, again, if he goes day two, it, you know, he fits an offense like Arizona's that's more of the Coriel-style passing attack. Downfield throws the nine route pretty well. Um, just inconsistent in general, uh, I thought, um, you know, both in this weekend on tape. Um, but he has some of the tools teams like he's not mobile and he doesn't do well from a muddy pocket. So he needs a good team. He needs a good line. He needs protection. He needs playmakers down the field. You know, that's asking a lot. <laughs> not, not, none of the guys here are guys that are going to, you're going to plug in and they're going to make everybody better and elevate the talent around them. And really that's what you're looking for when you're talking about these kind of players. So, you know, maybe two of them go day two, but it doesn't mean that in a vacuum, you know, their talent suggests that they're worth that type of yeah, for sure. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about just a couple more guys. Uh, tight end Gerald Everett, he's South Alabama kid, not somebody that was really on the radar too much until uh, bowl season wrapped up and, and we really started to dive into some of these players. Uh, I actually saw him, I don't know if you caught this, he was, uh, he was mocked in the first round in Daniel Jeremiah's recent NFL mock draft. So that I think that kind of caught everybody's attention. What did you see from him this week? Well, he got nicked up uh, early in the week and you know, was kind of struggling through that, so tough to evaluate him completely. He's a good athlete. There's no question there. How polished is he? You know, That was what I wanted to see this week because he got hurt. I don't think we saw that much of it. Um, weighted at 227 and about an inch shorter than people thought he was. So you know, how many inline guys are there that play that type of a role? So he's going to have to test great now. Now he's going to have to be a really transcendent athlete. Hands are an eight, eight and a quarter, I believe they were. Uh, so small hands, drops were an issue all week. I would not consider him a winner from this week. I would probably consider him a loser. But again, if he stays healthy, he has the chance to maybe change that, and he didn't this week. So, yeah, it's just tough. There's not a lot of tight ends that are 227 playing in line. Is he maxed out? Can he put on weight? You know, that's what we're going to have to see. How much speed and agility does he lose if he does that? First round is really rich to me, and I don't I don't read many mock drafts, but that's that's a little bit wild to me. Uh, there's a, you know, you're talking about tight ends, you know, even with Jake Butt's injury, as long as his med checks are okay, he and David Jaku or however you say his last name, those guys are definitely up there with Howard. Engram is is a better player overall than than Everett is. Maybe Everett has crazy athletic upside that gets him drafted, you know, higher. But when you're talking about players who are closer to their finished product and are able to get a, be able to make an impact year one and pick up an offense. I think those guys are closer than ever it is. Again, I don't think he's a bad player or anything. I just didn't think this week was a good week for him. Okay. That makes sense. The last guy I want to hear your thoughts on is a wide receiver from Clemson, Artavis Scott. Uh, he's another, another player who seemed to start his career. Well, was on the radar of dynasty players and just kind of almost disappeared here in his final season. What did you see from him? I'm glad you asked me about Artavis Scott because here's my here's where I'm at with Artavis Scott as a player, and I liked him in college. I, I liked Clemson a lot, and I thought that he did, he did some good things in their offense. But I think there's a couple types of receiver, which is the kinds that I've kind of talked about. And I, is he a separate in the air type of guy? 
I don't think so. You know, I don't think that's who he is at all. Not a big play guy, not a guy who's going to win, you know, contested catch situations at high rate. Didn't do it at Clemson, probably isn't in his skill set. You know, is he a great separator on the ground as a route runner? Is he elite in that way? Is there a quickness in and out of the breaks that you want to see? You know, is he refined, you know, his whole route tree? Is that available to him? Well, he didn't run the full route tree a lot of the time at Clemson. Uh, he was used a lot on bubble screens and end arounds. So he was used as a space player, which suggests that he probably needs to be a great athlete. I don't think he's a great athlete. I think he's an okay athlete. Um, but space players in the NFL are guys with 4-3 speed, you know, 4-2 speed, those kind of guys. Um, I don't think he's that type of a player. Uh, is he incredibly shifty after the catch? He's got a little bit of that to his game. He can run through arm tackles. You know, uh, he can get open in the short to intermediate parts of the field maybe. Um, but if he isn't big enough to win outside and, and win vertically with speed down the field or win in contested catch spots, he might be a slot. But if he isn't explosive enough to separate consistently as a slot, what's really his role at the next level? That's what I don't know with him. So how he tests will be huge because he was used as a space player. They tried to use him this week as a space player, um, and I just don't know if that's the type of role he can play in the NFL. So he may have to develop other parts of his game to be the same level of NFL contributor that he was in college because, again, I just don't know that I see any special traits with him. It pains me to say that a little bit as a guy who liked Artavis in college, but I'm just not sure I see anything that will really attract teams and fit him into any type of the key molds of receivers that are out there. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I'm I'm no scout like you are, but uh, that's that's a lot of what I saw. Just as far as you know, what can he really do? It doesn't seem like he does anything well enough to uh, to stand out or to carve out that role. So that's yeah, a little frustrating as a as a guy who likes Scott uh, over the past couple of years. But you know, not not everybody's going to make it. That's right. <laughs> Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, just let all our listeners know where they can find your work. Uh, you guys can find me at insidethepylon.com. Uh, I do a lot of draft work for them. Uh, Matt and I do uh, Breaking the Plane. When the Super Bowl wraps up here, uh, we'll be moving to draft coverage pretty heavily. Uh, so make sure you check out Breaking the Plane. Um, I, I do Steeler work for uh, scout.com, Steel City Insider. If that, if you're a Steelers fan and you're listening, you can check out my work there. It's a subscription site. You know, be upfront about it. And so, I mean, if you want to pay, you can check out some of my articles there. Um, and then I do draft content there as well, as long as obviously Steelers coverage. There's other stuff I'm probably forgetting. But I wear a lot of hats this time of year. But, um, yeah, you guys can check out my work there. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft on Twitter. Thanks again, John, and we'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.